Welcome back, Freedom Junkies, to Freedom Junkie Radio. It's been a while since I've done an interview, and there's a lot that's been going on for the last few months for me, and maybe we'll get into that. Maybe we won't. This podcast is about bringing us freedom in our lives, sometimes freedoms we don't even know we don't have. And this interview for me is very exciting because I have been wanting to interview Melissa since I started the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something that people don't like to talk about, but I don't mind at all. It's We're going to talk about death, and that's pretty much all we're going to talk about because Melissa is the modern mortician. She is very unusual. I'm sure there are more than one person doing what you do, Melissa, but I don't know about them. And so today's podcast is going to be about bypassing the death industry. And you might not even realize there is a death industry out there, but there is, and it's a very expensive one. And it's one that has a lot of rules that you have to play by. And just like home birth is an alternative to the birth industry that again is expensive and there's all these rules you have to follow and all this stuff. There's a way to exit this world and bypass all the mumbo jumbo that we're expected to deal with. And so a few years ago, my mother-in-law passed away. It was very much expected. So we had time to plan because she was very ill what we wanted. And we got to talk to her about what she wanted. And my sister-in-law knew of an option at the time we called it green burial. And it's where you don't, uh, you don't go to a funeral home. You don't embalm your loved one. Uh, you don't look at their mummified dead body in a casket. You don't buy a casket for $40,000. And uh, you dig a hole, you put a shroud around your loved one and you bury them. It was awesome. And a lot of people were amazed at, at the funeral. And so I, without any further ado, I want to introduce Melissa Unfred, the modern mortician. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking about the taboo topic of death. Well, you are a mortician. I mean, you chose this, uh, this, this life that it has so much death in it. And that's an interesting, you know, thing right there and in, in its own. And I'd love to get to that. There's so much we can talk about. It's a very fertile ground for a discussion here. But I, I want to start out with just talking about the death industry and green burial. Do you still call it green burial? Yeah, green burial, natural burial. Um, it just kind of depends on the shade of green as I refer to it, but it all is pretty much the same. Okay, so you used to be in the Central Texas area, but you have moved over to the East Coast. I mean, I'm sorry, the West Coast. Yes, somewhere. I'm up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I moved up here because they were uh, legalizing human composting and water cremation was already legal and I needed a change. Um, and I wanted to learn more about those options to better educate people because the industry's not doing it. So that brought me up here. Um, who knows where I'm going to be next? <laughs> okay, so you, when a family knows about this option of a natural burial, you help them from soup to nuts. And go ahead and explain what that is 
for the for what a natural question. burial is yeah all right so natural burial is where um no preservative products are used the body is not invaded with embalming fluid um which is actually like a medical procedure it is very invasive uh, people don't talk about what happens during embalming um a lot of people make decisions quickly because they don't know any different. Um, but no embalming is used, no preservatives. The body is typically bathed and wrapped in a fabric uh, that's of natural origin, um, like hemp, cotton, not bleached cotton. Um, I've had people use quilts, like grandmother's quilts before. Uh, people that have run down to like a thrift store and bought sheets that are all natural and then like patchwork them together. I've seen some amazing things. Um, you could even be buried in a cardboard box or a pine box for a green burial or natural burial. Um, but the, the, the purpose is to return to the earth, um, not to have any plastics involved, um, not to um, add things like clothing that wouldn't break down. Um, but yeah, the purpose is to go back to nature and the body, it would depend on where you're buried because a lot of people don't have access to natural burial parks, much like your family did. And they might have to use an existing corporate owned cemetery that might require a vault, but you can still get what is called a shades of green burial where you're not being embalmed. Maybe you're in a wicker basket or a pine box and surrounded by flowers. And even though some of those cemeteries might require a concrete vault to protect the ground cover, you're still you know, under that and in contact with the soil. So there's methods to get around it and get what you want. Okay, so why isn't this, why doesn't everybody do this? Why is everyone going to a funeral home and spending tens of thousands of dollars on a casket and embalming? They don't know better and they're not talking about it beforehand. In the state of Texas, you are not required by law to hire a funeral director, but the laws are set up in a way and have been manipulated over time by the funeral service industry, like the associations that are involved, owners of businesses that pay lobbyists and things. And the way they've made it is like, in order to even file a death record, which is what a family would need to uh, bury their loved one and transport them on their own, a burial transit permit, you have to have access to what's called the electronic death registry system, TER, Texas Electronic Registry System, or TechSever, they may have changed it to that. Uh, each state has their own uh, system for that, where you're plugging in the social security numbers, the date of birth, date of death, the doctor that's going to sign it, electronically sends the death record to the doctor. They don't have a way for families to access that yet. I know that the Funeral Consumers Alliance and there are people like Jim Bates up in the Dallas area that are fighting to make things like that more accessible for families. Uh, but at this time, it's not. And it was even worse during COVID-19. Um, because those offices were shut down, like families could have taken it by paper and gone. Um, but when those offices were shut down during COVID-19, I don't know what families were doing in the Texas area. Um, because it was about that time that I departed. Okay, so. Okay, I want to I want to talk about the controversy involved. 
Um, I know that, the, like you were saying, there's a big death lobby. There's the, the somehow it's difficult for people. To, and, and as you said, each state is different. So we can touch a little bit on, on more difficult states or, or where, you know, Texas things are typically pretty easy. Um, like homeschooling here is super easy. Uh, so as far as the controversy involved, um, I know you've been involved in some controversy yourself. Like there, you, uh, they've kind of come after you and tried to shut you down. Why is that? And, and in a nutshell, what is it that people need to know that we're up against? Um, if you look at TikTok now, I don't know if anybody's on the same TikTok threads that I'm on, but there's a death talk. And there are de uh, morticians, licensed morticians that are now on TikTok teaching people things about the funeral industry. And they're being very professional about it. They're younger people. That was me 10 years ago when I started teaching people what happens when we go on a removal on my Instagram stories. I would film me taking my cot out of the van, wheeling it up. And I always made a point at the hospitals, the removal is always by the dumpsters. I think that's disrespectful, you know, and I'd film stuff like that. I wouldn't film the decedents. Um, we didn't take photographs of loved ones without family knowledge or permission. Um, but behind the scenes, things like that, I was one of the first people showing what the eye caps looked like, what the AV plug looked like, what the embalming fluid did. And I was putting it all out there in content on Facebook and Instagram. And that caused my state association of funeral directors to send me a letter uh, saying they were gonna kick me out of the membership. <laughs> um, and in 10 years from then, you know, I've stayed strong and other people have started presenting information online, but these TikTok morticians now still get the same punches that I was getting back when I started presenting on Instagram, the behind the scenes and the education. Um, I have one girl that I'm talking to uh, that, that kind of amped up on TikTok with her explanation of things going on. And somebody emailed her employer saying, I think that's so disrespectful that she would film that. She was showing um, the metal device that they use to wire people's mouth shut. She wasn't showing it used on a human. She was just holding it. Um, and so this person, whoever they are, tried to get her fired. They came after her livelihood for educating people. And she's not the only one. They did it to me. They've done it to tons of other influencers or educators, as I prefer to call them, online. And we all know about it because we all talk to each other. Well, so, okay. So you, you kind of got in trouble for... Exposing, speaking out <laughs> yeah exposing some of the 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 dirty the uglier parts of, of what was goes on if you do it the 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 normal way like basically saying embalming's not required by law don't let anybody talk you in it it was basic things that are knowledge that are more prevalent now that we have more voices out there but i was one of the first ones doing it okay um it's not because uh the green burial I thought green burial was really frowned upon obviously it is going to be very frowned upon by the industry because they want you yeah. to pay for embalming fluid and they want you to pay for one of these coffins yeah. what's the most expensive coffin you've ever heard of there's this the one Michael Jackson was buried in and I forget, Monticello is what I want to call it probably butchering I'm probably because I don't focus on the caskets anymore but yeah they're like 
they're expensive. They can get up to 80,000 more. I don't know. That's out of my room. <laughs> right. And you, okay. Because you don't do that. The most okay. expensive casket at the last corporate funeral home that I worked at was 44,000. Okay. Yeah. And you come in in that time when you're raw. Your loved yeah. one has just died. Yeah. You're raw. You love them. They're gone. And someone is selling you product. They're selling yeah. you an expensive funeral, an expensive casket. And uh, the, so there's, there's kind of a, there's a few different aspects here because the natural part to me, I certainly wouldn't want to be embalmed. Right. I kind of want the buzzards to eat me when I die. We can maybe talk about that later. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've, I've started writing a song about it that just won't, okay. it, won't it, it, it won't form. The song just talks, it just says, feed me to the buzzards, feed me to the buzzards when I die. Feed me to the buzzards, cause all I wanna do is fly. It's um, yeah, it's like instant reincarnation, you know. Yeah. Like, I get to be a bird anyway. Um, but then my husband's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't think once you're dead, you care because you know, yeah, you don't care. So. I like to eat natural food and I like to breathe natural air and drink clean water. And I don't like, I had, I, ha I had to use Tide with Downy uh, on a trip we went on. I had to wash our clothes. We were skiing. And I still, two weeks later, have this horrible rash around my middle. Wow. It's just itching like crazy. Cause I, for 15 years now, I've used nothing but natural soap you know so the idea of embalming my body I've actually never even thought about it and I bet most people don't we don't talk about do you want me to tell you what they do yeah please okay it's graphic okay let's you might have to edit it out <laughs> so um when they embalm the body we move the body nude onto our prep table which has grooves down the side and a drain at the bottom and that drain at the bottom the bed is tilted the metal table is tilted so your head's at the high end and your feet are at the bottom. So the blood and the water will flow down the side channels and into the drain, which is usually like a urinal in the wall, if not like a sink fixture. It's really funny. The first time I walked in a prep room and saw urinals on the wall, it was like, y'all pee in the same room that you're getting bodies ready in. They were like, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> this is the plumbing okay. we're using. Okay, so you're talking from the experience you had working in regular funeral homes before you sh shifted over into the natural. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Um, so this was like early in my career. And so when a body's embalmed, they take a scalpel and they cut like a two or three inch, you know, incision right above the clavicle bone. And then they take some aneurysm hooks and they pull the tissue apart and they get through the fashion. They pull the muscles out of the way and they've got your carotid artery and your jugular vein and they raise those up above your skin. And they do a little snip in each one of those and they will clamp off the vein. And then they will put a cannula, which is a metal tube attached to a rubber hose attached to the embalming machine, which is filled with the embalming fluid in a water mixture typically. And that is injected at a certain pressure into the, the veinage system, your cardiovascular system through the artery. Um, and so as that pushes through and it's starting to build up, they let the pressure or the clamp go on the vein. And so all the blood is coming out of the jugular vein and it goes down the table. And so 
when they build up that pressure, it pushes the embalming fluid through to the tips of the fingers. So it plastinizes, I guess, basically preserves them. The point of embalming is to sanitize the body um, to keep it from decomposing. But these days we have refrigeration available. Um, and then of course, there's a lot of cases where if you're burying within 36 hours, you don't have to have refrigeration. Um, if you're longer than that in Texas, you just need like the core temp to be a certain temp and we can go into that later, but the embalming. So once all the blood is um, removed from the system, they tie off the artery in the vein, tuck that back in, put in some sealant powder, sew it up. So typically they'll tell you to bring a high collared outfit for somebody if they're embalming. Another place they'll they'll raise arteries would if they're having like bad flow or the person had you know cardiovascular system issues, they'll raise at the foot, at the ankle, um, behind the knee. They can do the iliac, which is down in the you know your leg area where your hips are kind of low. Um, so all those arteries sometimes have to be accessed just to get the fluid through if somebody had poor you know system circulation. Um, Beyond that, once that's done, the embalming is done, they still have to treat the cavity, the body cavity. And this is an unautopsied body. I'll tell you about the autopsied one here in a second. Um, they have a long hollow needle called a trocar, very sharp tips on the end. That's also hooked up to a hose that has suction on the other side and it aspirates fluid. So it pulls, it suctions out. So you take this long hollow needle, it's about yay long, and you stab it into the abdomen two inches over and two inches up from the navel. And it is a stabbing motion. And back when I was in mortuary school and when I embalmed, I had to think really hard about who am I angry with right now to literally get that much force to push it in or have the nerve to do it rather. Um, and then you have to puncture each organ, the heart, the lungs, the bladder, you have to hit the all the organs. And you can tell what fluid, um, what organ you're hitting by the fluid coming out. They, they do this thing called a heart tap where they'll try to slide that trocar directly up into the lower chamber of the heart um, to drain the heart without hitting any other organs first. That's like a sign of skill for an embalmer is to do a heart tap. Um, so once they've drained all those fluids and it goes into the um, you know regular sewer system, um, then they will put cavity fluid, which is very, very toxic, um, into that cavity. And so they'll hook a bottle up to the same hose, to the same stabbing machine, <laughs> the trocar, and they'll let that fluid go into the body and they'll perfuse it through to make sure it's sitting in all those organs and it kind of petrifies them more. And the point of that is to is to, to kill any bacteria that are naturally present in our body that are you know, supposed to be doing their job, breaking us down and returning us to nature. Um, we don't immediately start melting and disgusting in the moment we die, as you know, um, from firsthand experience, you know, they kept her at home for a little bit before we, we brought her into our care. Um, so yeah, that's what embalming does, <laughs> some of it. So it's, it's horrible for the environment. It really is. They say that, well, embalming is a natural chemical. That is the thing that they're saying now, all the educators that are pro-embalming. It's natural. It's in nail polish. It's, it's, it's here. Does it mean it's okay? Does it mean that, that, that it's okay that it's in these products? No? Right. And so embalming was necessary 
in ancient Egypt. It wasn't even necessary then. They didn't even do the same things that, that, that we do now. Embalming came around in the Civil War when they were trying to get the soldiers home and they saw, you know, how Abe Lincoln looked when they took his body on a tour day, the USA. They embalmed him at every port. So they drained the fluid and redid the fluid and everybody thought, oh, he looks so good. He's been dead for months. So that's why they started embalming people. Okay. So yeah, of course, but even in ancient Egypt, all you got to do is dig a hole and put somebody in it. Yeah, or you take out the organs and put them in little magic jars with stuff and wrap them up. But like, I mean, even pioneer days here in America, we were just putting our people in the ground. Or you can burn them like yeah. the, the Vikings, the Viking funerals. And yeah. that's we do that too. So you can be cremated mm -hmm. or you can be buried. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you said that the the fluids from the human body go into the sewer system, into the drain, which means, yeah, yeah. okay, that's gross. Yeah, but um, the industry will say, well, you pee in the toilet and you poop in the toilet and you have your period. It's the same, but what about the embalming fluid? Oh, it's inert, you know, once it comes in contact with water. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I yeah. Is it know, I don't know. The problem is there's not enough studies out there about this stuff. But if you think about it, when you pass a traditional cemetery, they're landfills. They've turned our loved ones into landfills because they're in these little metal boxes inside little concrete or other metal boxes. Um, even in the mausoleums, like if you go visit a mausoleum at, at any of your normal, you know, cemetery that has them, smell it just breathe in it doesn't matter how they hide the smell the bodies are rotting in there and laying in their own waste do who wants that right wouldn't you rather be eaten by worms wouldn't you rather just return to a hole <laughs> yeah oh i see now i can see what's behind you i thought it was just yeah. a picture of your dog that is a hole in the ground and there's your sweet pooch who was with yeah. you at at nana's funeral yeah, that's your buddy. And um, he was there when we picked her up, too. I remember that night so distinctly. You, you want me to talk about that yet? Or <laughs> I would love to. So um, I I remember my, my sister-in-law, Tree, who has been such a great mentor for me. She, has, she was the one who invited me to her home birth, where I was like, what? And I went yeah. and I was forever changed. Yeah. And then she was the one. She's such a nature girl. Um, and... I mean, I think I'm a nature girl, but she takes it to another, another level. And so she had, I mean, I think I had heard of green burial, but she found you. And one of the things that they had to do was find a, a place for her. We can talk about that. There are actually green cemeteries in Texas. We found a regular cemetery that was a private one where they would allow it. Um, but so from that moment, when she died, they called you. I wasn't there. It was, it was tree my husband, Philip, and their best childhood friend, and the three, Willow, the three of them were there. And so she got to die peacefully at home with her family. And that right there is unusual and something that I would like to just point out. My husband said it was really hard to be there when she died. You know, it's, you kind of want to leave the room and, and there's part of you that just kind of wants to come back and have it be done and have someone go, yeah, well, it's over. 
Yeah. But to hold their hand and be, he said he wouldn't trade it for the world and he highly recommends it. So anybody who's listening right now, if you have the opportunity to be there for your loved one at the moment that they pass, it's such a gift for both of you. Don't miss it. I, I highly recommend not missing a birth either. If you have the chance to be there, we don't get to witness birth or death. It, and um, sometimes you can't witness death. It happens, you know, in a car accident, no one's there or whatever. But um, so when they were sure that it was the final breath, they called you and you go from there because I remember you showed up quickly. And if I'm not, I wasn't there. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you have a refrigerated vehicle. Mm -hmm. And so go ahead, tell what happened then. So really we drive around in stealth minivans uh, that have the back seats removed and typically have a tray put in that will hold the, the cot steady. So, you know, the people in our care don't go sliding sideways. So if you ever see a minivan and there's no seats in the back seat and you're on the highway, there might be another kind of passenger laying down. So anyway, rolled up. Um, it's always special to see family that are there because in my career, I've I've picked up people that were abandoned at the morgues. I've picked up people that were in a hospital and no family was present um, or nursing home and had just been forgotten. But to see family there with their loved one at the time of passing, it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience that really I can't put words to. Um, and as a funeral professional, to be able to educate people that this is a choice and, and an option is so special. Um, but yeah, I brought her into my care and um, placed her on the cot. Hey, hold on, I'm remembering something. I remember you you told them that there was no no rush, no hurry. She could spend the night at home. That they didn't have to rush to go have her refrigerated. And if I'm not mistaken, they stayed there the night. Yes, I think you came in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Um. But yeah, I have been at situations before where I show up and they're like, oh, somebody's coming from out of town. You know, I wish we just had a little more time. In Texas, you have, you know, 36 hours unrefrigerated. Like, granted, Texas summers don't do that to you or anyone else you love. But we all get like boxes of food, deliveries, prescription. Like there was a time where I would go on the Mueller Facebook group in Austin and be like, hey, I need refrigerated gel packs. And I'd have 50 of them in an hour from people. So we just put those little refrigerated gel packs around the abdomen and the small of the back, and it keeps the core body temperature cool. Um, people have done, there's, um, I have a friend from North Carolina who I don't know what his background is, but they would do a three-day wake mm -hmm. for three days. See, you can go longer. You just have to keep the core body temperature at a certain degree. Right. They put ice on the body. Yeah. Right. So those little gel packs are perfect if you're going beyond 24 hours or if you are, you know, in the heat dead of summer, you know, something like that, you don't. So people can keep their loved one at home. More people can come in and see them. I've had families that kept the loved one in the bed and people would bring in flowers and in the other room, they're decorating a cardboard casket with Sharpies different things like that, you know, or eating snacks in the other room or having coffee. And it's just this in and out thing instead of 
getting all dressed up and going to the funeral home and getting a hard paper with somebody's picture printed on it and and going and signing a guest book it you're in their space you're in that realm of grief and it's okay to to feel the emotions and be raw and real and you can come and go on your own time you're not limited to the nine to five of a funeral home um like yeah so those things are <laughs> there's a freedom there's a freedom yeah. that you get when you do yeah. it this way yeah so then um say we were going to need to wait a week for burial something happened and we couldn't do it you know within the next few days refrigeration we would just bathe the body dry them off wrap them up in a sheet not a plastic bag and place them you know on a refrigerated tray inside the refrigeration unit that is built okay. for bodies i want to jump in and say this that the entire process was so cathartic and a lot of people i think the majority of people find out that their loved one died probably a lot of the time in the hospital they don't get to see them. They don't get to touch them. And if they do see them again, it's in a weird embalmed state in a casket with their lips sewn shut and it doesn't even look like them. And every step of this way was so cathartic for my husband. He, now he didn't bathe her. Tree got to do that. But the bathing of the body, anything you can do to be with them, touch them, be in their space, it's all so... Um, it helps with the grief that a lot of people, I don't think we know what we're missing. Um, so she got to bathe her and then um, Philip and one of his best friends made what you call the trundle that she ended up going down in the ground on, which is basically a wooden tray. And they made that and every single bit, every time they were sanding or anything, it's, there's this Catharsis is the word I'm thinking, but it's, it's grief that they got to experience. So I just wanted to jump in and say that, that these little things that you're doing um, is, is a, again, a gift. So, okay, you take the body, um, bathe it, wrap it in a natural cloth, take it to refrigeration. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, if we're waiting a few days before burial can take place, the body will just be placed in refrigeration. And then um, once it's go time, now when we invite Families can bathe their loved one at home, like a sponge bath or something, or they can come into the facility where we would put them on the same kind of tilted table sometimes, depending on who you're working with <laughs> or what's available. Um, but yeah, you can just bathe them and you have the water running down the table and the soap and everything. And I like to use Dr. Bronner's soap, because why not? <laughs> and, All one. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and from there, you know, after it's time to go to the cemetery, um, in her case, I think she was shrouded and then we put her on the tray when we got to the cemetery. I don't know. I just remember the wooden tray. Yeah. And, and, um, and the way there's uh, all, and there'll be six pallbearers in a way because they, they took ropes and we kept those ropes for so long that go on the holes under one rope goes underneath and comes out the other side and then yes. a second rope and a third rope so six mm -hmm. people lower her down into the ground and you were there and your pooch was there yeah um actually scrolling through my instagram um on the side here to try to find a picture of that tray because i know i have it um but so yeah 
I remember, you know, people, I think they wrote notes and stuff and dropped that in as well. Um, that cemetery required a vault. And so they put that in first and then they lined the inside with like dirt and leaves and flowers and stuff like that before she was lowered in. Well, and you know, this is really interesting when we were, so the, the cemetery around here, it's about 45 miles away. That is a green cemetery. When Tree and Philip went over, they, it, it wasn't very well kept. It, it just yeah. wasn't where they, they were like, this isn't really where we want her to be. Right. So they started looking around at other cemeteries and Philip came across a private cemetery, not far from where we live. And he managed to find the owner of it. And it, it's a private cemetery, which is really only for families and families of people that are in the, in that community, I believe. Yeah. Right. Be and, in that county. He happened to know one of the members of his family. They, they figured out that they had, and he was like, oh, Daryl, you know, Daryl. Well, of course you can bury your mama here. And so he didn't know the first thing. This old guy didn't know the first thing about green burial. I don't think he'd mm -hmm. ever even heard of it. And so he required the, uh, what'd you call the, the concrete? Yeah, the liner. The liner. Um, yeah. But yeah. what's interesting is, he was there for the funeral as well. And when it was over, he approached Philip and apologized to him for requiring that $300 piece of concrete to be put in there. He said, now I see what you were doing. And he thought it was beautiful and he thought it was wonderful. And he was saying next time, if someone wants to do that, they don't need that concrete. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. But it was, yeah. So I don't, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, um, how people can go about doing this for a loved one if this is something they want to do and where they can do it and how you know what it costs or anything like that so let's finish the story so yeah they we it, it was I had people say to me that it was the most beautiful funeral they'd ever been to it was just so real here yeah. is the body you think of kind of the body of Christ or something wrapped in a shroud in a beautiful mm -hmm. piece of off you know obviously natural non-bleached cotton or hemp or something and yeah. she looked so tiny because you are I think when you die part of you goes away and um tree had taken a beautiful uh bouquet of flowers and put them all over her body and she laid down you could see her little hands like this underneath you could kind of see the outline and put her in and um I played the violin I, the whole time un unless someone was speaking um, Philip did the service. We didn't feel like having somebody come that didn't even know her and say, mm -hmm. you know, ashes to ashes. So um, as difficult as it was, he got up and he said, can I wear sunglasses? I said, no, you cannot wear sunglasses. <laughs> and um, he was just raw in front of everybody. And then we invited anyone to come speak who wanted to, and then anyone who wanted to put dirt, you know, on her. And that was that. It was simple and it was beautiful. And I couldn't thank you enough. And you came, you were there. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I remember the, I remember the guy from the cemetery <laughs> was very like, number one, why am I dealing with a female funeral director? Number two, why is she out here by herself? <laughs> but yeah. Well, it and was with a dog. <laughs> yeah, it was an education for him. And, and that was great. So, um, I remember it being very reasonably priced. What are you, what do you charge from soup to nuts? I'm still figuring that out. Um, <laughs> at the time I was just charging like, um, 
by the hour what it what it would take me. So this was under a thousand dollars for my services. I'm pretty confident. Oh, I know it was. Yeah, and then the the space again. It depends on where I know he got a deal because these pricings for these smaller cemeteries, if you could get in them, are really good. If they've been bought up by a corporation. That's where you're going to have like a $600 opening and closing and this, that, and the other. Um, so he was very smart to do what he did. Cause I think I was trying to get, you guys were also looking at Eloise Woods as maybe an option. It may have been, I don't know what was going on with them at that point, but. Well, okay. So if someone has a loved one that's going to be passing away and from what I understand, we're going to be seeing a lot of it, a lot more of it. The death. We're at the death boom. This is it. Um, the industry kept trying to prepare us for the boomer boom and it came with COVID. Mm -hmm. Like you guys don't understand what's really going on in the industry. Like even in Austin right now, refrigerated trucks being involved, families that are probably been pushed into embalming unnecessarily because okay. funeral homes weren't prepared or willing to rent the trucks for the refrigeration and storage. Okay. But yeah, we're in it. We're in it. Well, and I don't know you know, there's a lot of controversy about the, uh, the injection that people got for COVID and how it is now Pfizer has come out with its nine pages of, um, I don't know if you've heard about that yet. They, they wanted to wait 75 years to release the, um, what is it? Just the list of potential side effects from, oh from but they were forced to go ahead and release release it and it's nine pages and it's it's lots of things that can kill you from heart disease mm -hmm. I mean you know myocarditis and stuff I think we're going to be seeing a lot of um, you know I've heard a few people talking about we need to brace ourselves so yeah. um, we can talk about how people can go about because people aren't prepared for the cost of of death you know when they're no. loved guys and so yeah. what do people do um so someone who could afford to have a green burial or a burial at all, if you can afford a burial at all, you can afford a green burial. I mean, it's right. Well, something that's important not to derail or to drive backwards, but the part of the problem with this, the COVID that happened was not only, it was just the backlog of everything happening and the nurses getting fed up. People were dying because so many, so many circumstances, but in so many different ages for so many different reasons, whether it was a heart disease or something that all catastrophically came down when COVID hit, I feel like. Um, and a lot of families were denied the opportunity to even touch their loved one because they, they had it. Um, so many bodies were wrapped in plastic and just put in to incinerators, like the crematory, like not bathed and you know taken care of with love um it was more of a disposal action like even bodies i was recently working at a corporate funeral home while trying to get my life together <laughs> and i needed insurance um i distinctly remember multiple times where they would just take the the body in the body bag and stick it in the casket and shut the casket and that person is now forever in a body bag in a casket do you think that's what they had in mind when they paid $30,000 for a pre-planned funeral? No, they wanted to be seen. They wanted to be loved. They wanted to be appreciated. 
Um, if that's what they paid for, that's what they wanted. Okay. Well, there's so much money in the funeral industry. Yeah. You could have yeah. gone that route. You could have gone and, you know, put money down on a funeral home and be paying it off and, and making yeah. tons of money, but you chose to educate people and, and give the world a gift of this yeah. bypassing <laughs> the funeral industry. So, um, if, what do people do who can't afford a, a funeral or burial? Um, I've had to deal with that a lot. Um, they call around to all the different places. Um, not a lot of cities have the resources that Austin does, like the Funeral Consumer Alliance of Central Texas puts out a list every year of the direct cremation prices and direct burial prices, whether or not you're required to buy a casket, what the minimum cost of a casket is. Um, so not every community has a reference or a resource like that. So families are left calling around. They may get some budget crematory on the line that's outsourcing to a third party that never touches their loved one that just does all the paperwork. How do you know you're getting your person back if you're not dealing with the person from A to Z, you know? So there, there are pitfalls and traps out there for people too, which is why it's important for them to plan ahead and, and talk to whoever they're working with and, and try to develop a relationship about this taboo topic. Uh, I mean by whoever they're working with, like, like it's like important. for me, for example, y'all knew, she knew me from beginning to end. You dealt with me from beginning to end. You didn't deal with a different person picking up mom and taking them to a third party facility. Um, for example, a place I worked at in Austin in the past would hire a third party to pick up her, the loved one. They would transport it to another facility another funeral home that they didn't even know they were dealing with and refrigerate them there and then use another person's crematory and all while sitting at home doing the paperwork um so that can happen you know and they mail your loved one to you uh so i think one of the, the most important things is for people to, to talk about death before it happens we need yeah. to talk to all of our loved ones about what they want, particularly our parents and our spouse or our, our partner. Um, what, what do you want? And what are the options? How much does it cost? And then the other thing that hits people really hard is things that were left untied when, uh -huh. when you die. And so, you know, having a will, doing these things, you know, once you're 28 or 30 years old, you should really consider the people that are going to have to deal with the, the, the mess that's left when someone dies. We just had this issue and um, my, my listeners don't know it. One of our best friends commits suicide between Christmas and new year's. And that's been a really um, it's punctuated my life in a very powerful way. And um, what, you know, just the, the, the mess that was left behind that we all had to, to deal with and help his family with. We were closer to him physically and, um, and just more in his life than his family was. And so um, thinking about these things, people don't want to talk about it. Back when I was doing Toastmasters, a lady gave a speech. She helped people do death planning. And it was more like the financial planning of, you know, all of it. And people would come in and not want to talk about it. I don't get it because I don't mind talking about death at all. It's coming for us all. I mean, and you're more yeah. aware of that than anybody. Um, so knowing what your loved one wants to begin with, and then, and so, you know, it, it's kind of a gift when we know that death is coming, when someone's 
um, terminal or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, I kind of don't believe in that either. Cause I believe in miracles. So I think that, you know, but if, if, you know, it's on the way, how much of the time do people know it's coming and how much of the time, what would you say the percentage is that death comes unexpectedly? I think it's always, I mean, come on, it's, we're all going to die. Um, so it's a hundred percent, but in, in the sense that you're saying, it seems to be about 50-50. Okay. If I'm thinking about it. I'm sure there's like more statistics out right. there, but okay, if I'm good. thinking on the cases that I've worked with lately, and when in that 50, I'm including people that they were on hospice and the family was still holding out for a hope. And I can understand that sometimes miracles will happen, but I'm counting them in that 50. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So 50-50 chance you're going to die unexpectedly. Yeah. And um, in that moment, if you haven't considered green burial before that or natural burial or cremation or whatever it is you want, then you're in a pickle. So yeah. definitely having these discussions to begin with and even knowing where you would be buried or you know, if you want to be cremated, then that's maybe irrelevant. But so- um, Thinking back on y'all's case, was she on hospice care? I think hospice had been coming. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So in situations like that, families, once they're in touch with hospice, it's time to start talking about making a plan because you have either hours to days to weeks, maybe months at that point. It depends on your person, but that's a good kickoff point. Um, unless you want to scare everybody and say on your 18th birthday, your 28th birthday, your 38th birthday on the 8th, just start making a plan and throwing it in a Google folder and sending it to your people. Yeah, this then is they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so. it's adorable. My parents are, are elderly now mm-hmm. and they've been, they're 86 and 90 and uh, they've known exactly how they wanted to be buried for at least 20 years. We've known exactly what to do. And, uh, they've got their cemetery plot somewhere there in Houston. And my dad wants to be uh, cremated. He's supposed to die first. Okay. uh, (laughs) We'll see how it goes, but he wants to be cremated. We hang on to him. And then when my mom dies, he wants to be placed in her wooden box that they've already gotten milled and made. They've already got it sitting out in the barn and uh, he wants to be a Uh, casket. It's, it's a I guess you'd call it that. It's like a She'll pine be in box. a casket, not cremated. She does not want to be cremated. He's All right, so be- now I got to tell you something right now that okay. you and your listeners need to know. I'm going to bet you might be dealing with a big corporate cemetery in Houston. And if you tell them about that urn, you're going to get charged a double interment fee. Oh, okay. So, so a that- lot of really cool funeral directors, I mean, wink, wink, will place dad's urn at mom's foot and not say anything to the big wigs. And then you just put dad's name on mom's marker as a cenotaph. A cenotaph is a place of memoriam, you know, where the body's not really there. Okay. But yeah, to avoid that extra interment fee, which can sometimes be over a thousand dollars, if not a couple thousand dollars. Okay. That's how okay. you do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, what my husband wants to be cremated and, uh, I don't think I want to be cremated. I don't know. I, I Okay, so there's a lot of options. Did you know about water cremation? No. 
So water cremation is legal in about 17 states right now. We're working on getting it legalized everywhere. Um, I was the first to offer it in Texas, even though it wasn't legal yet. Water cremation, and I didn't break the law, I sent the body to another state where it was legal. <laughs> but water cremation is 90% more eco-friendly than flame cremation. The body is placed into the machine um, and instead of fire, it's 95% water and then a 5% sodium hydroxide, sodium potassium mix. So it's kind of alkali. So it's like when your fingers get wrinkly in the bathtub, you just disintegrate. And then the bones are left and the liquid portion. So it looks like urine because li the liquid part of you when you're like 70% water anyway, amino acids, fats, peptides, salts, the liquid portion of you can be reincorporated like into a field or a meadow where like in Oregon, they reincorporate it into grass to grow grass. Um, and then the bone portion of you is dried and cremulated just like with flame cremation and put into an urn, but you're not putting off carbon emissions and anything like that. So it's a gentler process. And then human composting is also a thing too. Okay, talk about that. Human composting. There's a couple different methods on how they do it. Um, there's mushroom, a couple mushroom bags. No, <laughs> that's a big bogus thing. Um, the mushroom shroud is bogus. It just smells like mushrooms, but it doesn't actually grow mushroom spores. So that's something to know. Okay. But the human composting, they take. There's a, two different methods, and they take the body and they place it in what looks like a giant freezer chest, but it's halfway filled with like mulch and sawdust or hay, different organic materials that are um, native to the environment of the area that it's being done at or legalized in. And then the body is laid in nude or with a paper gown. And then families can put in like letters or like um, flowers around the body, a ham sandwich if they wanted to, you know, anything that's gonna break down. And then they put another layer of the mulch over the body and it sits for 30 days. And two of the companies will kind of churn the mixture during that process. But then there are two that don't do that, that are in Southern, that are, uh, one's in Colorado and one's in Southern Washington and one's in Southern Oregon. And they put them in the material for three months without disturbing the bones. The other two places are commercial and in warehouses. So they grind up the bones during the, the sitting process. But the end result, whether it's three months, 30 days or 60 days, you get like a pickup bed full of soil, soil, compost. Uh, that is your person, but there's no more DNA left. Nothing but soil, healthy, rich soil. And families can put this on their land or they have um, natural burial parks out here that are now accepting that soil or like the Duhamish tribe is building up some of their reservation with the human soil. Um, but yeah, that there you could be feeding the birds by growing seeds in your soil pushing up daisies yes and with the amount of space texas has like they're composting cows you know why don't we have more green burial spaces or more composting spaces or you know all these different options for people because texas is huge right <laughs> hey, i just i i don't know of composting myself because you're gonna compost it's gonna See, now, when you think of your home composting with the bugs in it and stuff, it sounds disgusting, but this method is 
they cannot get in at all. But I like Nothing the idea of oh, I like right. the idea of feeding the worms. And See, I'm scared of that. So that's why being in a little refrigerator box for three months while I break down is an okay thing. <laughs> okay, funny we care. We think we're gonna care. Yeah, I, I don't want to care, but I know I know too much. <laughs> it gets in my head. Okay, so if someone in Kansas is listening to this or someone in Ohio is listening to this and they, we've been talking about Texas, we've talked about a couple of other states. Um, what, do, what does someone do if they wanna find out uh, the, the green burial laws and how to proceed where they are? So the Green Burial Council has a website and there's also a conservation burial council that has a website. Um, no matter what state you're in, you can go to those websites and look for partners in the area that are already like pre-approved by those organizations. Um, if you want to do a little more research on your own, I would say um, go to the funeral web, like the association for that state. Like, for example, Texas, you'd look up the, the certain laws about burial on the Texas Funeral Service Commission website. So every state's going to have their own commission that'll have all the laws and things like that on there where you don't have to rely on what the salesperson is telling you. Because um, I want to kick it back to if somebody dies, what happens? Immediately, you've got a nurse or somebody in your face going, which funeral home did you choose? And if you don't know and they hand you a list, and you're picking based on who's listed first or the lowest price, you're in for a disaster. Um, so people are put on the spot to make a decision quickly. And then the removal people come and they immediately will ask for permission to embalm. And families think, well, embalming is required in order to see my loved one again. So yes, absolutely. And they don't realize that stop, full stop right there they shouldn't be pushing families into making a decision like that, like that. So one um, of the things people need to know is you don't have your, your love, your loved one can be with you and it doesn't, you don't have to haul it off, haul the body off instantly mm -hmm. to refrigeration or embalming. They don't ever have to be embalmed. Is there, is there a state where natural burial isn't legal? No. Okay. So anyone, we, we can all do this. Yeah. Okay. Now in the different states, that's why it's important to check those websites or to get a little bit of help because some states may say 24 hours till refrigeration, some may say 48. Um, and you just wanna make sure you, you know, especially if you don't have a resource like myself, there was a book several years ago that's now outdated, unfortunately, called Final Rights, which was written by Josh Slocum who is like one of the head people with the Funeral Consumer Alliance for the US. So he's a good resource too. Um, or if any of your listeners wanna DM me, I can look up the laws for their area. But the main thing they need to know is if, they're, if they get pushed the traditional route that the removal people are going to ask for permission to embalm. And once you've embalmed the body, you can't really get very green after that unless right. you just do like a wood casket or something. Okay. So I will include your information for everyone in the show notes below uh, and so that they can contact you, uh, whether it's, I know you're on Facebook, uh, any other social media that you're on or Instagram website. and TikTok. 
Do you have a website? <laughs> Themodernmortician.com. Okay. So um, now just to round this up, I am interested in what made you choose your field. I mean, I, I, I wrote my master's thesis on the cycle, circle of love and death in the poetry of Ronsal. I was, I studied French and I, I've always been fascinated with death because in the, the memento mori, I've, I always had a skull on the back of my guitar because it reminded me that we're going to die. You better live. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives to quote the William Wallace. Um, and so what got you into the death industry and what has kept you there? Kind of started as a, oh yeah, to my mom. Um, I was one of those kids in high school that was wearing the flannel with the black shirts and hanging out with the skaters. Um, <laughs> she thought I was goth. I grew into a goth, I guess. <laughs> but um, it was right before my senior year of high school. I remember I was at the kitchen table doing something and my mom was cooking and they were interviewing people on the news and that were hiring for the summer, like family owned businesses, like a plumber. And then one was a funeral home. And it was a woman speaking. And first of all, I hadn't seen a female funeral director. This was back in 96 or yeah. And um, so yeah, my mom was like, oh, you should work at the funeral home this summer. And I was like, I will. And I applied and I got the job because the lady knew my grandfather because he was a small town community farmer and she had multiple funeral homes. So was this that opened the door. Yeah, that was in Lubbock, Texas. Okay. Yeah, so uh, they had funeral homes in like Littlefield, Leveland, Floyd Ada, all the little towns. So they, they knew all the community people. That got me in the door. And initially I was fascinated with the art of restoration, embalming. Like I was fascinated with somebody could look so sick and frail and I could make them look 40, 40 years younger. And it is, it's a plumping agents, filling agents. They even do injectables in people's faces when they embalm to fill tissues out. But it was an art to me at that time until I got through mortuary school and I started working in these smaller communities that had pioneer cemeteries where people weren't in boxes and having, the cost was starting to really hit me. Like, why are we spending this much money on something we're looking at for a couple of hours that's like fine furniture and sticking it in the ground to get destroyed. Like, yes, your loved one is in there and yes, it's their forever place. But if you knew what was going on in that box, you might elect for another option. Um, but yeah, where was I going with that? Well, it's just, I, I was curious what got you into it and it was really, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just, it just kind of happened and, and you stuck with it. How yeah. do you, how do you want to be buried? Um, I want natural burial. I mean, even though the bugs are going to get to me, I don't want to be in a warehouse. I don't want to be churned up 30 days into it because they're trying to get another body in. Um, I want what she had. Hold on. Let me show you. <laughs> Do you want me to see if I can? Uh, yeah. Can you? Can you see it? Yeah, that, that's her. Yeah, that's Nana. Okay, so that's, that's her tray right there. And they had the little things drilled in for handholds on each part and all the flowers that they brought and laid around her. Right. Okay, so there she is laying on a table 
where we all got to go touch her um, before she was laid in the ground. Yeah, there's somebody in a nice flannel shirt loving on her. I think those are probably the only two I had. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, those are some other... Okay, so you want to do the the shroud. This is what I want right here. This, like in a hole, wrapped up in flowers and pretty colors, and returning to the earth in like a nature preserve. So now there are conservation burial parks, and like there's nothing invasive or anything like that in them, and they're set up so nature and wildlife can continue to move on around you and. Yeah, I want big tall trees and the big open sky above my dead carcass. <laughs> wow. So is there, you know, from an investor standpoint, is there a, a place for um, people buying large plots of land outside of city centers and turning them into natural burial grounds? That would be a huge thing. And already the tech industry is getting into it. Um, they've started to buy up swatches of land, like a company called Better Place Forests is buying up swatches of land and selling rights to have your cremated remains placed at the base of a tree for X number of dollars. But it's per forever protecting that land. It can't be developed, torn down. And that's your tree. That's your tree forever and ever and ever and ever. And that land will never be developed. Okay. So yeah, tech industry has already figured this out. And I'm, I, I'm just like, hey, they don't want to hire me because I already know too much. <laughs> so I'm hoping somebody will come along and go, here's some land, put some bodies in it. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, but people need to do that in every state. We yeah, they do. Have, and it could be beautiful. It could yeah. be absolutely beautiful. Well, so um, I also... You, I had asked you to come on the show early on. You were one of the first people that I, I was, I, this is something people don't know about. And I wanted to get it out there under the umbrella of more freedom in our lives. And um, you went quiet on me for a few months. And then you told me that you had been suffering from depression. Yeah. And I don't know much about depression. I, fortunately, that's not something that comes for me. Um, and so, but I know that a lot of people have been my friend and, who commit suicide in December. Well, you've come through the other side to where you contacted me and you're back among us. Is your depression, does it have anything to do with maybe COVID and what's been going on with a lot of people that have been, that have been suffering from depression? Does it have anything to do with the industry that you're in? Or would you like to talk about it? Cause I think, okay, let's do that. Um, a lot of it stems from just life trauma, but it's exacerbated by the death care industry and what I've had to go through personally as somebody that's speaking out against the traditional ways, because like you've said, they want to sell you the embalming because then they're going to sell you the casket. They're going to sell you the plot, the vault that comes with all the extra, the flowers, the catering, if they can push you to, to say yes to embalming. There's a, there's a higher chance all those other things are going to happen and that brings in more money. That's business. I get it. And they're not investing their time or their energy into these alternative options because it's going to cost them money up front to educate the consumer. So putting myself out there and trying to educate the consumer before they even make it to the corporation or to the time of death 
put a target on my head. I was not able to get employed by other funeral homes in the area. They were afraid that I would hurt sales by not pushing embalming, mm. which they were probably right. I had to work um, for some shitty, shady people in the industry. And I saw some things that that made me want to advocate even more for better, better things and better education. So it's these people that that I was putting myself around and seeing the things that I was seeing, like bodies being stacked on each other, bodies being embalmed without family permission, like I said, because somebody didn't have access to a cooler, um, things that are not okay. They don't happen at every funeral home, but can, because they've seen it. Um, it just sent me because I had worked so hard to be an educator on, on this stuff. And I thought I was doing a great thing because all the feedback from the community was, I love this, that you're sharing this, but my own industry was trying to tear me down and it worked. <laughs> um, Kermit got me through it and, and moving to the, the Pacific Northwest helped a lot. Even though they say that people get really depressed out here. I love this kind of weather. And um, okay. Kermit is your dog. Yes, Kermit is a certified therapy dog, um, but he's also in training to be considered a PTSD service dog. Well, what did you do? What did Kermit and you, how did you manage to come out the other side? I got fired from my corporate funeral job. Oh, okay. Okay. So that kind of. So I moved all the way to the West Coast. Uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, I was hired by a company to bring greener options to their firm and moved all the way out here. And they were so stuck in the way things were. Like, for example, they had a sales team and then funeral directors. The sales team always met the family first. And their, their goal was to sell them property. Because if you get grandma out in the cemetery, you're going to get grandpa and you're going to get the kids and everybody else. So then five years from now, when somebody else dies, they can jack up the price of the plot next door by $5,000 and they don't have a choice. I saw it over and over and over and over again. And it was making me sick, but like I needed the insurance. I, I wasn't confident enough. I was still torn down by what had happened in Texas. I wasn't confident enough to start my own business and start what I'm doing right now. Um, and so it got to the point where I was working 78 hours in six days and I was crying at my desk and my manager decided to fire me because I was too emotional at work and I feel so much better. <laughs> okay. So what are you doing now? What, what do you just, um, I've been unemployed for three weeks now and I'm building up my website, um, to be able to offer consulting um, to anybody in the country that wants to have like a 30 minute conversation, it'd be like super cheap. <laughs> and I'd be able to do the research for them and find them either the people that can do what they want or how to get what they want. Um, I was doing classes for a while that I'm polishing up with a group called Pale Hearse, which are some end of life educators that are in the Austin area. Um, it'll be an educational class on green burial. It'll be an educational class on what is water cremation and how to get it or human composting and how to get it. Um, and I'm going to write some articles and hold out as long as I can <laughs> until something pops. I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I have to manipulate people to pay my bills. I don't want to do that again. Well, you are one of these people who's building up a karmic 
like like your next lifetime I, I want to come back as whatever you're coming back as <laughs> I mean it's um I I'm going to quote Aaron Russo here I was listening to an interview with him yesterday and I was blown away by this little tidbit and I'm going to give it to everyone he was asked what he felt the uh you know Aaron Russo was a um he's now deceased he was a uh a movie maker he he made trading places and the rose mm -hmm. and a, a documentary called freedom to fascism which is a must watch for every american and um when asked what the meaning of life is like what's our purpose here he said oh it's to like ourselves because in order to like yourself you have to do things that are noble in nature and you have to do things that you would find that you would um, admire in other people if they did them like live that way walk through the grocery store that way be the person that you that that makes your heart sing and that you would be proud to be and we've forgotten that people who are walking around in a funk and pissed off and angry at whatever it's like is is that the noble thing to be doing you know, and what you have chosen to do is that your life as an adult is a testimony. I don't know what you did as a kid, doesn't matter, um, is a testimony to that which is noble and good, not choosing that which would make you rich. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being rich. I hope you get very rich from green burials. You know, I hope that you. I just want to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and. <laughs> So I, I see where your where the the constraint in your life has come from, you know, because you're up against this industry that you're in, and you're 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 offering something that doesn't make the money that the rest of it does. And so, you know, I just want to commend you. I, I wanted to help you then after Marianne's uh, funeral. And, you know, if I, if I could get this out there, if, if 900,000 people, if, if 9 million people, if 90 million people could see this or hear this information, you know, it, it's just so important. And, and people loved it. I mean, people loved the funeral. And how many times can you say I loved a funeral? It doesn't happen. Dude, it's amazing. The feedback that I get, like that was part of the, why it was so heartbreaking seeing what I know families can have that they didn't know that they could have. Like the feedback I get and the families, just the way they treated us as employees or helpers to them was so different from a corporate standpoint to this because they weren't keyed up. They weren't agitated. It was cathartic. It was smooth. It it just, it's different. It's so different. The mood, the relaxing, the, it's, I can't, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> the feeling I had when I came across home birth. People yeah. don't even know. They mm -hmm. think you shouldn't. They think you shouldn't do that. And it's, it's, I would give that gift to anyone if I could, a home birth. You know, obviously if you need to be in the hospital, it's different. But so, and, and that kind of, it's kind of like home death, you know, it's yeah. like you, you don't have to go the corporate route and get pushed around and, and made to spend all this money. And it can be a relaxing, loving environment. 
And, and so I, I appreciate you offering that. Is there anything we haven't touched on that we need to talk about before I let you go? That people need to know? Um, I do want to touch on something I keyed on earlier about the embalming process. Um, what if your loved one, say, died of suicide and they've been at the medical examiner's office and you want a natural burial? Um, they're coming back to you or the funeral professional in a bag. They're not, it's not like TV where they're cleaned up and, and everything like that. And so since death is unexpected in a case like that, having this knowledge out there that even if this has happened, you can still see your loved one. We can still bathe them. We can still sew everything up um, without it using embalming fluid and invasive chemicals. They, you can still see your loved one. I've draped so many people that were in car accidents that may have been mangled in sheets and their loved one could see their perfect resting peaceful face. And just to be able to give closure like that to families, you don't have to embalm to get that. But if that's what you want, that's great. If you want an open casket where everybody can come up and see you with all your makeup on and all your jewelry, it can happen. But also families need to know that it, that's not the only option. Okay. Well, this is interesting. When my friend commits suicide, it uh, was not, he, he did it um, chemically, he breathed in chemicals that he had mixed in his car that, oh. um, yeah, he would have died instantly with the amount of chemical that he created. We've gone through it a thousand times, but what happened was that the, the coroner, the, um, hazmat team had to come. Yeah. And Cause of the chemicals. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. If you had opened yeah. the door and you didn't know what was going on, he had put little signs on the windows that said, call 911. Uh, poison gas like we knew um so we think he had been there since the night before when we found him and um the family i don't know what so i wasn't involved with the discussion about what was to happen with the body but we were we never did see him we watched while they took him away that was important for us and um they didn't allow the family to see him after that, I think, okay. I, 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 I don't know what was up with that. It, 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 I, um, I'm going to tell you that he, they could have, um, and this is where it comes down to the funeral professionals that you're dealing with. What you just described, I can think of five cases in the last 10 years that have been exactly the same. I don't know if they're getting these instructions off of Reddit or other websites, it happened in Waco, it happened in Austin, it happened twice in Lubbock and one out here with the signs on the window and everything. Once the body has been taken for autopsy and stuff, whatever was on it, touching it is inert at that point. The body can be bathed and restored. It's not like they have Ebola where it's gonna continue on. That's really like the only thing, Crutchfield, Jacobs and Ebola are the only things that are truly scary. And even with embalming these days and the proper precaution, that would be where you could see them again. But in that case, they could have bathed him and sewn him up. I want to say, I feel like, you know, not being in the situation and knowing everything in the situations that I have been involved in, there's, it could have been done. It just really depends on the professionals that you're dealing with, whether they feel like they're comfortable with it or if they want to spend that extra time. I think as human beings, we have more power than we always think. You know, we were raised in, in the school system where you just be a good little student and do what you're told and don't, and ask, don't questions. ask questions. 
Right. And, and the older I get, unfortunately, I wish I'd known these things when I was younger, but we really do. You all, you are a human being with your rights and you can stand up and ask things. And, and there's so many situations in which they expect us not to. And so we just don't get the answers that we want. So, yeah. Okay. So that was, that's why it's, I think it's important for everybody to just have a conversation. Um, and you know, I, the hardest thing to do is to breathe and to think in situations like that. Have a designated person to help make phone calls for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You have your rights and I want to help you. And Yay. hopefully there's something in the works that's going to reach those millions and billions of people that need to. Um, let's talk to each other a year from now and hopefully I'll have some amazing news. <laughs> Oh yeah. I'd love a follow-up. I'd love a follow-up. So yeah. How can we help spread the word about Green Burial? I guess, you know, putting yeah. podcasts. Follow me online on Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook. Um, if, if you see something that resonates with you, share it with people. Okay. Yeah. Don't be afraid to follow the modern mortician. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And don't come for the, the death. Stay for the dog. Yeah. You know? Or come for the dog and stay for the death yeah we're all yep it's coming it's coming it's coming well um melissa thank you so much for for spending this time and uh i appreciate you a lot and i you know if you're ever back in central texas i will be i'd love to get together um and so i'm so grateful that you're uh back among the living feeling you know alive again and I Thanks. really appreciate what you do. Thanks so much. I live better than a king ever did. I live better than a king.